Hey folks, welcome back to another episode of the Peach Planet Podcast. Jason Pye joined by Buzz Brockway and Scott Turner. Guys, Hello. how you doing? Howdy. It's, been, it's, it's been so long since I've seen your faces. I, I was really missing both of you so much. At, <laughs> the lies, the lies <laughs> have already begun a few <laughs> seconds into the podcast. I was just going to say, that's a lie. Um, <laughs> the, the president of the uh, Buzz Brockway's Devilish mm-hmm. Smile fan club is my mother. So, <laughs> uh, so sad, that. some sad news starting off the, uh, off the podcast tonight. About an hour before we, we hit record, uh, there was there were tweets and news stories that the Krispy Kreme on Ponce de Leon Avenue has once again, for the second time in six months, caught on fire. Uh, a few months ago, it was a target. It was a, a, a target of arson. Uh, this time around, they don't. Atlanta Fire Department has not reported what the cause was, but all we know is it caught on fire. Shaq I mean, promised to rebuild, so we need that. We need Shaq to keep his word. Yeah, the that that particular location is owned by Shaq, right? Mm-hmm. yeah so yeah, yeah. where my question is where's lebron james and does he have a, a viable alibi <laughs> um, well what one thing is for sure he's not in the nba playoffs and neither are the atlanta hawks sorry buzz no that was sad yeah but, but can't hey man you can't complain i mean it's what an incredible run no i found myself checking the scores as much as i hate to admit it just to see how they were doing i, I only watched like two minutes of a game that i realized i basketball is not basketball is not my recording? thing how long have we been recording? We already got well, basket. I, mean, I said basketball is not my thing. Yeah, I yeah. But it, you said as much Krispy as I Kreme hate donuts. to admit it, as much as I hate to admit it, we got four minutes into this podcast before Jason Pye said the word "I hate something." <laughs> you know, at least at least I was. Never mind. All right. <laughs> <laughs> no, but about the Hawks. Before we move on, uh, you know, I watched a couple of the games where Trey Young wasn't there, and boy, I I didn't get to watch him. I just don't watch basketball. But I watched it this time because mainly my friend Buzz is all fired up and I wanted to support my friend Buzz as much as the local team. But they just did not seem like they had any type of leadership on the floor without him. So I imagine having him off the floor was a huge minus. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So. So important season with the NBA finals currently going on, Milwaukee Bucks versus the Phoenix Suns. Uh, another important season just recently started up up, and that is uh, that is campaign fundraising reporting, FEC disclosures as well as uh, I think probably state disclosures too, uh, are are being filed currently by candidates. Uh, not a lot to report uh, as far as it goes. We did see one uh, one candidate who said he raised 1.4 million dollars. That is Latham Sadler, who is. Uh, the former Trump administrator, Trump White House staffer, who is running for United States Senate for the Republican nomination in Georgia, uh, but one point one point four million dollars—that is uh, that is an impressive haul for a first-time candidate. Yeah, yeah. For, yeah. I mean, never having run for any office before, mm-hmm. right? I That's mean, right. This is and not a not right. a well-known brand, uh, you know, brand name up to now. And uh, I mean, as far as we know, uh, I guess we'll see when the when he actually files the report is how much is, did he put any, any of his own money in there, or is that all? Uh, raised money so we'll see yeah and his, his press release doesn't really give much detail other than just saying 1.4 million in contributions for q2 um noting that he entered the race only 10 weeks ago uh still obviously we still have a lot more in terms of other candidates i think there are there are i think six declared republican candidates or seven declared republican candidates at this point so we have a long way to go to see uh, where the other candidates uh, are. Hopefully next week or week after, we'll be able to get a little bit more of a comprehensive update, maybe even have a spreadsheet to share uh, yeah. once, once we get all that information in. Uh, but in other congressional races, we, we didn't we checked right before we hit record and didn't see anybody else who had reported anything. And I haven't seen any press releases from other other mm-hmm. campaigns or congressional candidates who who disclosed how much they've raised. Of course, where a lot of us are watching Georgia 10 to see. Uh, who's going to raise money there and emerge emerge out of that race? Uh, yeah, but there's just not a lot to say. But what we can say is that Raphael Warnock, Senator Warnock, <laughs> has a just like crap ton of money sitting in his <laughs> campaign account. Well, he did, like twenty seven point five million dollars, and that's as, as that's as of the end of Q one. Yeah. So whether he had to pay down some debts from his 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 uh the you know the race uh that finished on january 5th we don't know we will know we'll know in a, next week or maybe even in a few days uh but 27 and a half million dollars 
that is a lot of money that is just sitting in a campaign account, which, you know, whether yeah. that's whether that's real or not, we don't know. But he is in cycle. And yeah. Matt, and he has been one thing I thought about. I actually thought about this over the weekend. He's been pretty quiet. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, wouldn't you be? You've, you, I mean, why, why draw attention? Why create mm-hmm. fuel for your opponents? Uh, you know, I think it's smart for him to be fairly quiet. You know, he's casting his votes like a Democrat. There's no question about that. But sure. he's not out in front on the the steps holding press conference after press conference like some <clears throat> MGT people um, <laughs> constantly. Uh, and so, yeah, I think it's smart of him. But also that type of money, $27 million cash on hand three months ago is enough money to convince a lot of people that you're something that you aren't. And so as he continues to vote like a Democrat, I expect he will try to appeal to a wider range of Georgians and moderate himself as the, the reasonable person in the race that you can trust because of his, his record well, of not being out there in your face constantly. And if you can convince the people that you are inevitable, that's a powerful uh, thing to run on. You're the incumbent. You've got this money. Uh, that will depress money to uh, whoever emerges on the Republican side. So yeah, he's he's sitting pretty right now. Which is why I mean maybe that's one reason why it's been so so difficult to find a top tier Republican candidate. You know, mm-hmm. and, and the AJC. I mean, even if Herschel Walker does run, uh, the AJC is not letting anybody forget some of the allegations that, that well the things he's admitted to, as well as the allegations. Because I had forgotten completely about the allegation uh, by his from his ex wife about the. I think he, I think he like what pointed a gun at her or something at some point in time. I don't, I don't, I don't remember the details. Spe- I don't yeah. remember the specifics, but the AJC ran a story on it the other day. Yeah, yeah. they did. Yeah. They mentioned it, and also they mentioned that he doesn't recall the incident. And that's right. His he has a track record of advocating for mental health issues as a result of his yeah. experiences. Um, that's clearly going to be a campaign issue. Whether it's in the Republican primary, and I imagine it would be in the Republican primary. Why wouldn't it be? but also definitely in the general, uh, he's yeah. going to have to show that he's okay now, you know, mm-hmm. and, and I hate to even talk about it this way. Right. right. But, but Herschel, look, I, I'm not a fan of him running for Senate and I've made that pretty clear. I want an experienced statesman at the helm in that role. Mm-hmm. I want the, somebody who has some experience uh, battling in some contested campaigns to get into that fight with Raphael Warnock. Uh, and he just doesn't check that box, but I'm going to defend him when it comes to this, because he's been transparent about it. And yeah. he's also advocated for mental health solutions for people who are struggling with it. And yeah. so I think he can sure. turn it around. I think if he's, if he gets a savvy team, like Eric Erickson has mentioned, his team is a really important. Right. Team. Yeah. Yeah. You know, if he gets a savvy team, they can work that, you know, yeah, that was a long time ago. And, and Herschel's better now because he has, he has a hopeful life and a hopeful message and he can give hope to others. And I think yeah. that's a very powerful thing to run on. Yeah. I do think it is tough to attack that because um, it, it, you know, he, he can very easily, as you mentioned, he, uh, Herschel can very easily turn that around and be uh, a sympathetic figure. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I, I think Scott, I think you bring up some really, really great points in terms of like it's going to matter who he's who he surrounds himself with, mm-hmm. uh, and and but look, we we I think we discussed this even some briefly last week uh, that you know can, some of the campaign consultants uh, and look, some of them are friends of mine, and I'm not trying to insult them, but <clears throat> they see dollar signs in their eyes when you have sure. a big name candidate who jumps in, either an independently wealthy candidate or a big name candidate who can wait, raise money. So, you know, it's going to depend ent- whether he's a viable candidate or not. It's going to depend entirely on the quality of people who are around. I remember at one yep. point in time, I think it was, uh, I think it was Alan West when he was a member of Congress, who is now Alan West, now uh, a candidate for governor in Texas running yes. against the incumbent Greg Abbott. Uh, <clears throat> but w- the, the former Florida Congressman running in Texas for governor, um, and used about succession, by, by the way, that's right. He did. Uh, so, <laughs> but it's, it's really, it's, it, but like Wes used to raise like a, this incredible amount of money and it was coming in all through direct mail, but like his burn rate was just ridiculous. Yeah. And that was because the cost of direct mail, direct mail being, yeah. being so expensive and renting mail at mail lists and things like that. You know, you're probably only making a true profit of about 20 cents yeah. uh, per, per, per what you spend on each mail piece. So, or not profits, the wrong word, but you know, that's your net. You're clearing that much. Yeah. 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 So it's, uh, you know, I, yeah, I, I don't, I, 
I, I, color me skeptical that that Walker's going to make the right choices when it comes to uh, mm-hmm. you know picking who because I think the the Trump folks are going to come out and force and and try to influence him because I mean yeah. like most of the Trump folks are just grifters and that's that's it yeah um, and I think your comment Buzz about about uh, Latham Sadler and how much what his burn rate is I think that's also mm-hmm. going to be telling too because whether he surrounded himself with the same Trump acolytes who are more interested in lining their own pockets and actually electing people who make good policy. Scott? I just hope, look, if, if Herschel doesn't get in and it doesn't look like that, that's the case, it looks like he's running to me. But if he doesn't get in, I hope he will throw his weight and support, especially fundraising ability behind a candidate in our primary and get behind mm-hmm. somebody. Because I think you would have the best of both worlds then. You would have the celebrity aspect of supporting somebody. Somebody that could even go out and stump for somebody um, would be great. Uh, you know, I just don't necessarily know that he's qualified for that particular office, but I do at, at any rate, I hope he stays engaged because I don't think he'll have any problems raising money, yeah. but I, I, I do hope that he, if he does decide against it, that he does engage and help our candidate get into the race at a level where they can compete. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, candidates, people often get caught up in the amount of money raised when what's really important is the amount of cash you have on hand yeah. that you can use uh, to 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 run your election and get your message out there, and it's uh, you know, <laughs> I I was on uh, Marco Rubio's leadership team here in Georgia when he was running for president. We had a meeting with one of Marco's uh, Marco's campaign manager who said, you know, people candidates for president never run out of ideas; they run out of money, and that's that's a key thing when you're running for uh, running for a big public office like this. Don't run out of money. Yeah. Right. You have, you kind of kind of manage manage it like a business. You have to have a little mm-hmm. bit of savvy and understand when to say no. Yeah. You know, we're not going to do that. We're not going to invest in that. You know, I remember uh, I, when I was running for state house, I got hit up for people to buy banners at sports events or sign yeah. at a golf tournament. It's like those things are not very effective. You gotta you really gotta focus those dollars on your district, your yeah. voters, your people that you're trying to appeal to in a way that they're going to be able to accept it. If you spend a thousand dollars sponsoring a golf tournament that only, you know, 50 to a hundred people are ever going to see, that's a waste of money. It is. Yeah. No yeah. doubt. Well, speak, well, speaking of elections, uh, we, so I think we talked about this last week on the podcast and we were kind of anxiously awaiting the Supreme court's decision in Bernovich v. DNC. Mm-hmm. And that decision came down six to three, the Supreme Court held that uh, the uh, steps uh, Arizona had taken uh, in terms of election reform were uh, were consistent with uh, were consistent with the Constitution. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, the, the the I don't know if either one of you had a chance to read the decision. I think I read it uh, last Wednesday, mm-hmm. uh, just kind of br- very briefly. So I don't remember a lot of what it said, but uh, Justice Samuel Alito wrote the opinion. Uh, it was. Uh, I think a lot of people were saying, well, you know, I think because I think I even quoted a Washington Post article from the, the brilliant conservative scholar, Jen Rubin, uh, who <laughs> that's sarcasm, folks. Uh, <laughs> I caught that. Yes. Yeah. You. Yeah. Uh, who, who basically who, who said, like, even if the court shot it down, that it wasn't necessarily going to be a problem uh, as it relates to DOJ's lawsuit against Georgia. Yeah. Re- right. Reading that opinion, uh, I think Jen Rubin in her her constitutional expertise and knowledge might have been a little too presumptuous. <laughs> you could say that again. I, I'm going to read what you texted us when you read it. Uh, the the quote, the money quote. From it the is. Decision. It really was the money quote. Uh, even if the plaintiffs had shown a disparate burden caused by HB 2023, in parentheses, a burden on minorities, mm-hmm. uh, the state's justifications would suffice to avoid Section 2 liability. But I call I don't call it the money quote because I agree with it. I'm just saying that in terms of Georgia and yeah. the allegations that are being made at Georgia, if you're yeah. a Georgia legislator, you're feeling pretty good. You're feeling pretty good. Well, yeah. what Alito is essentially saying is that election integrity and election security is a compelling state interest in this case, yeah. that they are allowed to take steps to ensure, even if it dis, it's it's disparate in its effect on different population groups. That they have a vested interest, and in, you know they should they should mitigate those those impacts. But even if they don't, it overweighs the potential impact. 
Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he, he, he does not, Alito does not concede that the plaintiffs had made their case that it uh, would impact them. He just says, even if it did, the state would have right to make sure their elections were secure. Yeah. And, and that's that's huge, you know, yeah. but how far does that go at this point? You know, so Jen Rubin may say, well, there's an out there, you know, because ultimately the court hasn't decided where that line is and they need to at this point. And so they can continue, the DOJ can continue their lawsuit. But I mean, reading the writing on the wall, that lawsuit is dead in the water yeah. as a result of this decision and that opinion. It's really hard mm-hmm. to see it moving forward uh, in, with, with any sort of success. Doesn't it, Buzz? Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah. I mean, there are other aspects of the lawsuit, so I'm sure they'll go forward and I'm sure they'll try to make an argument. But I mean, it, it sure looks like the judge can, because uh, it, I, I suppose it'll be here in the 11th Circuit. The judge can pretty easily say, SCOTUS said you're wrong. That's the, that's the end of it. Yeah. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's a the SCOTUS blogs uh, uh, report from July 1st. Alito declined to provide an exhaustive list of what circumstances courts should consider to determine whether a law violates Section 2 of the Voting Rights Act, but he outlined what he described as several important circumstances that, particularly when taken together, strongly suggest that it will be more difficult for plaintiffs to prevail in future cases in arguing that a voting law violates Section 2. Mm-hmm. So it, it just it seems it seems to me it seems to me that look you don't you don't. I think I made it pretty clear on the podcast that I am not a big fan of SB 202. Um, But uh, all things considered, uh, states have a lot of free reign over, over their elections. And that's not to say that free reign is, is not, it does not say that Congress can't come in and step in because I think a lot of conservatives misread the constitution's um, language as it comes to elections. Congress actually has a lot of power uh, over regulation of federal elections. That means they can come in and set regulations on states. Yeah. Uh, but given the current makeup of Congress, where you have, I think Democrats have plus four over Republicans in the in the in the House, and you have a a fifty fifty Senate. Uh, not to mention the fact one in which the filibuster still exists. It's really hard to see Congress stepping in and invalidating these laws through any sort of legislative action. Yeah. And I think, look, uh, you know, the two, I, the two issues that were at play there were uh, what, what people call ballot harvesting, uh, give, you know, uh, somebody giving their, uh, or an activist collecting absentee ballot applications and mailing them themselves, as opposed to the individual or a family member mailing it. And then the um, uh, voting out of your precinct, which uh, I think it, 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 as it, both of those are, are key components of, of Senate Bill 202 here in Georgia. So uh, and that, that will be, at least on those issues, uh, it sounds like it's settled. So, Yeah, right. It, it certainly does seem like it's settled. And um, it just, it seems like these law, I mean, I think how many lawsuits have been filed against SB 202? It's like <laughs> six at least, yeah, and they were anticipating that once DOJ filed a lawsuit, that others uh, would follow suit. Um, no pun intended, I suppose. But yeah, it. Uh, I, I'm not sure if that's happened or not. But there are plenty of lawsuits filed against it. And, um, it sounds like at least these other people who were intending to file lawsuits had the good sense to wait a day for SCOTUS to rule before they file their lawsuit. Unlike uh, Merrick Garland and the Department of Justice. Yeah. Uh, all right. So moving along into our next topic here, we have a we have a whip race uh, in the House, the Georgia House Republican Conference Con- caucus caucus caucus. caucus. Yeah, yeah it, I keep thinking federally. It's the House Republican Conference. Uh, <laughs> so apologies. Uh, so it looks like it's going to be Barry Fleming versus Matt Hatchett uh, for the uh, House Republican whip uh, position that has come open. Uh, wh- how do you guys see this race breaking down inside the the Republican caucus here in Georgia? Well, I, I guess we should back up a minute and explain that uh, you know we we reported it on Peach Pundit, but it, and it reported in other news outlets as well that that uh, Trey Kelly, the state representative from Cedartown, the current uh, House Majority Whip, stepped down. There's been some uh, he, he's kind of caught up, unfortunately, I think I think unfairly, in a very tragic incident that happened in his hometown that um, 
we don't need, I guess we don't need to rehash that, but uh, you know, folks are familiar with that. And I think the, uh, the trial is, uh, is in the not too distant future. And I think he was worried about, you know, the political ramifications of that uh, on, on the rest of the caucus, which caused him to, you know, to step aside. But I mean, look, Barry Fleming uh, and Matt Hatchett, uh, Matt Hatchett is the current uh, House Majority Caucus Chair uh, and, and has been in that position for quite a while now, Scott, I guess uh, several years now. Yeah, didn't and, you? Uh, and Barry Fleming. Did uh, you run for that seat, Buzz? I, I did run for that seat. Matt, Matt whooped my butt. But yeah, <laughs> I didn't. Bring that wasn't too that. bad. It was it but was reasonably close. Was. I, I I held my own. You did. You came very close. And and <laughs> and uh, I, it, but it, that this tells you how long ago it was. If you yeah. were there and you don't remember, <laughs> I think it's 2013. If I that's that, yeah, that's right. Uh, oh, we, Buzz, yeah. were you were you in your what your second term? Yeah, in my second term. Yep. Yep. So I ran there, and there uh, a lot you am you ambitious son of a gun. <laughs> <laughs> well, Matt and I came together. We, we you know came in together. Matt's a good yeah. friend. So is Barry. Um, good guys. Um, so, and, but Matt, and, I mean, I, I think you know this will be interesting to watch because Barry, I mean, Barry, I, I think, well, well, a couple of things. Barry was the lead sponsor, the lead person in the house. Uh, Ralston had uh, Speaker Ralston had asked Barry to uh, chair the special committee that dealt with all the election laws. So he dealt with the House version of it and numerous other bills that were introduced uh, and then uh, you know, helped shepherd through the, what ended up being the compromise uh, uh, omnibus bill that, that, be, that was Senate Bill 202. So, uh, and of course he's, he's you know, of, of folks that I serve with, he's one of the smartest uh, most capable legislators that I've that I've served with. He's right in that in that top ten list of folks that I serve with. It's a really smart guy. Uh, both of them would, you know, wh whips different than caucus chair. Whip is the uh, you know, vote, vote counter. Yeah, the the vote counter, and sometimes brings out the whip. You know, uh, to uh, to beat guys like me and Scott who were off the reservation from time to time. So I never experienced the, the crack <laughs> of the whip from any of the whips that I served under because they kind of knew, you know, they could have a conversation with me and I explained where I was and then that was it. They never tried yeah. to force my hand um, on anything. And, yeah. you know, and Trey and I would go to the well on opposite sides of an issue. Mm -hmm. um, I, I won more of those and I lost um, whenever Trey and I were on the opposite ends and I was actually in the well advocating against a piece of legislation, for example. Look, uh, look, the, the, you know, we joke about it. Right. Uh, it, 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 it was never, I, my experience is similar to Scott's. Yeah. I, I were, never had them tell me I yeah. had to vote a certain way. They didn't got to know, you know why. Look, we all, right. we all got, we all got dirty looks sometimes. I, I, I received a glare or two over my time in the house from the speaker as, you know, as I didn't vote uh, the way that he uh, might've preferred I voted, but I never, you know, never, never, the punishment uh, was mild, so. <laughs> For you. <laughs> but uh, so Barry had this position before, and uh, we talked about this before we went live um, and before we started yeah. recording. You know, he, he had, had this position under Glenn Richardson when yeah. Glenn Richardson was speaker. And then Barry decided to run for Congress and left the House for a couple of years. And uh, when he didn't get elected, he came back to the House mm -hmm. and it served as a regular rank and file member and then ultimately committee chairman. Um, and then most recently as the, the voting committee's chairman. But before that, he for a year, he was this, the House Judiciary Chairman, which is yeah. one of the, the most important chairmen in the, in the House. A lot of legislation goes through that committee, a lot. They meet every single day. So... Um, he, he is articulate. He, he knows his issues. He doesn't engage in an issue unless he's done his homework. He'll ask yep. questions, a lot of questions, sometimes make it thought provoking. Like I hadn't thought about that type of questions, um, not necessarily in an effort to torpedo a piece of legislation, but to make it better or to fill in holes or unintended consequences. He's brilliant at figuring those things out. Uh, but I have nothing good, good things to say about him. And I have nothing but good things to say about Matt Hatchett. Uh, yep. I, I spent a lot of time in Matt's office uh, one might uh, consider it. I was complaining to him a lot. Uh, he always listened. <laughs> he always took my my meeting, and he always let me sit on his couch, 
and and let me chew on his ear and he always listened and that is a, a, a good quality so I've yeah. got nothing but positive to say, things to say about either one of those two guys. I, I'll, um, I'll admit that I've, I've never been a real big Barry Fleming fan. Uh, and, and part of that, uh, just I think just being connected to the, the Glenn Richardson regime uh, still kind of because I, I could not stand Glenn Richardson. Uh, and uh, and I actually prefer Walston to Richardson. Uh, and then sorry, Scott. Just kidding, Scott. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. It was a joke. It was a joke. What that was like? It was a joke. Uh, yeah, it was a joke. Uh, and and then uh, I, I get so with Fleming. He also I mean, he also carried that legislation a couple of years ago. I, if I recall correctly, he was the one who carried the legislation to uh, ostensibly uh, require 501c4s to disclose their donors. Mm-hmm. And that that yeah. that rub, that rub, yeah that rubbed me the wrong way. We killed that too. Yeah. Um, and that comes back every single year. And the idea behind it is, you know, we don't want dark money in, in politics, but the reality mm-hmm. is if you don't allow it, the downside is you put a, a muzzle on the first amendment. Yeah. Uh, you know, free speech is anonymous speech. And, Speaking of SCOTUS rulings. Yeah. And, and <laughs> right. so, so every year that thing would come up at the end of the session, usually on signy die at about 10 o'clock, it would be buried in some conference committee report. And they would hope that we weren't reading the bills and that we could be able to get it done. Um, it was I don't attached know to it was a bill buried. I was carrying uh, one year. What's that? It was attached to a bill I was carrying. What did you, let me, let me, before, before, before actually, because I want to, I want to know what you did there, but before, because I do want to note that the, the case that you refer to is like SCOTUS also weighed in on that last week. That was the Americans for Prosperity Foundation uh, yeah. case uh, that was initially filed against Kamala Harris. Uh, it, but the, it basically, but that's, that's, that's a and foundation. Xavier, that, uh, Becerra was named in that lawsuit is now, uh, health and human services. Secretary. Yeah. I don't, I don't remember the name, the, the name of the current attorney general of California, but yeah. he, he, he or she picked up the case, the, but that that's, that's a 501 C three. And it relates to schedule. It relates to schedule B's now right. in the past, IRS has said schedule B's no serve no real purpose. The Trump administration actually got rid of them. And the IRS said that under Obama, that wasn't, that wasn't Trump's IRS. That was Obama's IRS that said that the schedule B's really serve, serve no real purpose. Uh, but we're, what we're talking about that. So that's foundation dollars, C3 right. dollars. We're talking about C4s advocacy organizations, and I would hope uh, that having experienced some measure of cancel culture himself in the in uh, in the past yeah. session as it relates to SB 202, that State Representative uh, Fleming has maybe learned a lesson that 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 donor disclosures will be used uh, to cancel donors to yeah. to 501 C4 organizations. And I hope he's he's he understands that a little bit more clearly now. Maybe he won't. So. Uh, uh, maybe he'll think a little bit more before introducing a piece of legislation like that, because um, he, he, that's the thing that I think conservatives or Republicans who push this don't really understand that some of the very groups, some of the very issues they claim to care about are the ones who are going to be canceled first right. when it comes to something like that. Yeah, Whether, and look, right. I, I, I have to confess that I, my uh, my views on this have evolved over the years. Yeah, I mentioned it. Uh, something similar to this was attached uh, to a bill that I was carrying. And at that time, there was a group in Georgia called Better Georgia that had popped up. I, don't, we, I remember better how Georgia. it was funded. They were mean and vicious. They'd come after me numerous times. They, they uh, would put our friends' names on a billboard and yeah. drive around the Capitol saying that yeah. they were, you know, evil people. Uh, you know, to say yeah. Nice and I'd, I'd be interested to see how the Supreme Court would handle this if this were you know, direct political spending because I, I, I do think. There needs to be more leeway. The public, uh, there's a, s- a certain measure that the public has a right to know who's attempting to influence the outcome of elections uh, versus these kind of these types of foundation dollars and things like that. So, I guess uh, I guess on the the C four side, because it's because a foundation it has to be ninety percent education and ten percent uh, can be advocacy. Right. Uh, yeah. So like uh, the where I work, we have so we have Due Process Institute. We have the Clause Forty Foundation. Mm-hmm. Uh, Clause Forty of Magna Carta is where it gets its name. Uh, but we like even though we can do ten percent, we don't even do that. Like we yeah. we 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 stay away from the advocacy entirely with the yeah. foundation, just so we don't ever run afoul of anything. Right. Uh, but it, it's it, there are uh, when it comes to five hundred one c fours, it's like. 51% has to be advocacy and the rest can be political. So yeah. it, it gets, it, it gets a little tricky when, when you, yeah. when it comes into that. And there were certainly some groups in the past, like American Crossroads 
with issue-based ads, things like that, that would really, really like, you know, walk that fine line where it was yeah. like, this is almost electioneering. And, and yeah. so like, I, I get that to a large yeah. degree. I, I get that, that argument, but at the same time, uh, I would, I, you know, cause like five political, like political action committee dollars, PACs, 527s, all that's disclosable. You have to mm-hmm. disclose that. But, but when it comes to 501c4s, it's a little different, yeah. but it's, it's completely different. Yeah. Um, it's just, you know, I would, I would rather err on the side of caution than, than, than just, you know, yeah. require specific things within the first amendment that are protected your right to associate, meaning yep. being able to pool your resources, i.e. money, yep. your, your right to petition government and the government cannot regulate those two things, you know, mm-hmm. point blank period into discussion and, and any attempt to to regulate that is exactly a violation of that of those two rights that are enshrined in the first amendment so we have this political system it's not perfect right and sometimes people pull their money for purposes that we don't agree with but you know we have to protect better georgia's ability to say what they want to say as much as we have that ability and and so um i I understand why why people get you know people get up in arms about it but at the same time it's political speech. It's political speech. Two, two, two things. First of all, the, the very founding of this country, the Federalist Papers were all written anonymously. Right. Yeah. It's true. Uh, you know, and uh, so there's that. And then this, the second side of the equation is this. Um, with, freedoms, with freedom comes excess. And, yeah. and we, that may mean, that may mean and, when it come, and with, when it comes to the First Amendment, it's not just speech with which we agree. It's also speech with which we disagree. That's yeah, hate. Right. That's that includes hate speech, which I yep. don't like. Uh, and right. that in, that includes uh, giving dollars to organizations that promote things I may disagree with, mm-hmm. or maybe yeah. things that attack things I, I I hold dear. I'm a big believer in free markets, uh, and there are certainly in this day and age plenty of both Republicans and Democrats who hate free markets. Yeah. So, but your point about being canceled is exactly right. You know, um, we saw it in California where was it Google executive who got canceled? Because, uh, Mozilla, Mozilla, right? Mozilla. Mozilla. Yeah. Got canceled for his political beliefs because you know, he was giving money to groups that didn't align with the leftist thought process of the average Californian. And he thought differently and he wanted to support areas where he thought society should be going and they ended up canceling him, you know, and and the same thing, you know, you touched about what happened with Barry. You didn't explain the whole story. You know, when Barry uh, Fleming introduced and got SB 202 passed as the face of that piece of legislation, he, you know, the left came after him back home. He was city attorney for, uh, was it? um, Maybe a uh, town of uh, Harlem, Harlem, was it? And then a county, one of the counties down there. I'm sorry, the name, the name of the county slipped on my mind. And the, and the left came after him and he ended up losing that business. Uh, You know, he lost as he lost those positions as as city and county attorneys for those local governments because of his protection of this issue, Mm -hmm. um, which apparently is now uh, passing constitutional muster. So uh, yeah. So, I mean, yeah, he knows that it will happen. I don't know how much of a thought process that would have have with him now or impact on his thought process, but we can point to real world examples of where the left goes after people and cancels them for participating yes. in this. And we cannot go down that road. We have to push back and defend the, the right to speak. Yeah, it was Hancock. Guess the- it was Hancock County back in March. They asked him to resign, voted unanimously. Uh, and the county is 71% African-American. Mm-hmm. I guess to circle back, Jason, to your original question, I, I think you know, Fleming and Hatchett are two popular, well-liked guys within the caucus, and it's going to be really fascinating to see how this how this shapes out within the caucus, or and if anybody else gets in. Well, and, and it also creates a position that'll be open because Hatchett will, at the time of the election, have to vacate his position as chair, and so you will have people running for chairman, mm-hmm. caucus um, chair, yep, caucus chair. And, and so, which is, is not the most glamorous position. You get a nice office in the Capitol. Um, you have to organize the caucus meetings and you run the caucus meetings to make sure it stays on topic. And you, mm-hmm. you pick which person's going to ask questions during caucus or, you know, uh, and then you have to listen to people like me come and sit on your couch. Um, <laughs> but it's not a glamorous position, but it is a leadership position. And with it comes a certain amount of influence and pull. Mm-hmm. 
and I imagine there are several different individuals. We haven't heard any rumors yet. I haven't heard any rumors about who's going to run for that because Hatchet just announced yesterday that he was running for whip. So, yeah. uh, but it will create a domino effect. You will have people seeking that position. And if one of the other members of leadership decides to run for caucus chair, you're talking about a cascading effect then. Yeah. <laughs> so in other, go ahead, Scott. Which would only be either Micah Gravely as vice chair or um, Bruce Williamson, who's the secretary treasurer of the caucus. So mm -hmm. it'd be the one of those two, and then you'd have another position open. Uh, and other and other Georgia political news. Um, well, I guess Georgia General Assembly news. Uh, the, the there's a, I guess an open question about Butch Miller whether he's going to step down uh, as Senate President Pro Tem uh, because since he's running for Lieutenant Governor. Uh, this is it's just pretty intriguing considering he was one of the people who who pushed uh, David Schaefer uh, out when Schaefer decided to seek higher office. So yeah. what are we what are we hearing? What are we thinking as it relates to uh, uh, State Senator Miller? Well, I think the the rumors that we're hearing, and Scott can either confirm or deny this, but that uh, Senator Miller does not want to step down, but there is uh, a lot of pressure being brought upon him by the members of the rest of the Senate caucus, uh, because uh, as you mentioned, Jason, uh, they, you know, what was good for David Schaefer when he announced his run for Lieutenant Governor, why isn't it good for Butch Miller? So uh, we'll see how that plays out. Yeah, and, and that, uh, I, I heard the same rumor as Buzz. I think Buzz and I were told by the same people today, uh, the caucus is, is putting pressure on Butch to step down. Uh, one of the one of the members of the Senate that I spoke to about this uh, a while back told me that uh, it's only right that he would, and they would also be looking at running potentially for for that position. Uh, so you have you have a couple, and and also the last thing is Burt Jones hasn't declared what he's doing yet mm -hmm. as senator. Uh, he's likely to run for a higher statewide office at, at a minimum. And LG is one of those races he's rumored to run. So if you have two members of the caucus, one in leadership and one that's a rank and file member running for the same job, which is essentially to run the Senate, uh, you know, the, I think the rank and file members are thinking it'd only be fair if both of them were on the same level playing field. Um, and so you have that dynamic at play. Um, as well, and then you're going to have the domino effect there as well, because you're going to have members who are currently in, in a position that yep. they currently have in leadership want to become pro tem. Pro tem in the Senate is not as powerful as, say, the Speaker of the House. Um, it is the highest leadership position that the Senate votes on. Um, the, the person who runs it, obviously, is the LG, which is a statewide elected office, um, but it has a tremendous amount of influence and power. Mm -hmm. Um, not quite as much as speaker, but um, close, close. Yeah. Well, I think hopefully that'll be one, that'll be one uh, st uh, story worth following. And uh, speaking of stories worth following, I, she's becoming like Raffensperger. Like, I don't want to talk about her, <laughs> but she, she, she insists upon herself. So apparently Marjorie Taylor Greene, She's forcing our, herself into our lives against our will. Congresswoman QAnon uh, <laughs> apparently took issue with uh, the White House's comment that they were going to go door to door and and ask people to be, to become vaccinated against COVID nineteen, uh, and she once again made a comparison to Nazis. Now, whether she knew it was a comparison to Nazis or not, I don't know. It could but have been a fashion statement. She it just could have yeah. brown shirts for whatever reason. She could have confused. She could have confused it with a UPS driver. I don't know. <laughs> but when you use the term brown shirts, it's it's yes, Scott. The UPS wears brown. I just the connection you you just drew for me. The dots you connected in my mind are amazing. So maybe that's what she meant. Maybe that's what she meant. I don't know. But brown shirts has a very specific meaning as it relates to to uh, the. Uh, to Nazi Germany. Uh, it was uh, a paramilitary uh, unit uh, in Nazi Germany that uh, targeted political enemies. Uh, and uh, she is once again making a Nazi comparison and uh, political rhetoric. And that's just not cool. No. I, I, and she knows it's not cool because she apologized for her previous statement. She and literally went to the damn Holocaust Museum and apologized afterwards. It wasn't just that she apologized. Right. She went to the Holocaust Museum, which is 
by far one of the most moving experiences anyone will ever have. Right, right. Our friend Sam Teasley tells a story about um, walking through there and then immediately leaving there with the weight of having to get involved in our culture to prevent something like that from ever happening again. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's one of the more touching stories about why somebody was motivated to get into politics is they went to the Holocaust museum. Yeah. Go they to the give, Holocaust Museum and not have an emotional reaction. No, you can't. And they give you because they give you that little card when you go in with like the a victim of the Holocaust that has their name and their information on it, and yeah. you and you you have that card at the end of it until the end of it. You you can keep it, uh, but it tells you like basically this is the person that you're kind of I guess I don't know if it's like representing or whatever the case may be, mm-hmm. but like that's that's who you're supposed to kind of identify with as you walk through and it's, you know, so she would have gotten that at least she should have uh, as she walked through. And it's like, you shouldn't use, you shouldn't make comparisons to Nazism in American politics without recognizing the full weight of what you're saying. Right. This is a deeper question I have now about Marjorie Taylor Greene is her ability to learn even from her own mistakes, but her ability to learn at all, you know, does she have it? Does she have the ability to learn? Mm-hmm. And I think she's demonstrating that she doesn't. And that's a that's a deep, deep concern that everybody should have. And she 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 either went there, had that experience, and walked out feeling remorseful, or she faked it. If she faked it, that's really, really terrible. But if she forgot that she had that experience and immediately and I'm talking a days past and yeah. she does this again. She's showing that she is incapable of learning from her past mistakes, a, a mistake that she recognized unless she faked it either way, either one of those scenarios is terrible. It's terrible for her. It's terrible for our state and our country. She needs to stop, just stop, stop trying look, to grab look. the spotlight. Every time there's a camera and a microphone, you can walk right by that thing. You don't need to, you don't need to get into that camera. You don't need to say squat. Nobody needs to hear from you right now. Yep. Just calm your butt down, sit in the back, do a job, represent your people. Yeah. Stop with this garbage. Look, we're talking about 6 million people who died and you're trying to, com- and I understand that vaccinations can be a very emotional issue, but we're not talking about government sponsored genocide. Yeah. It's not that. Okay. Look, yeah, you can, exactly. You can encourage people to yep. not get vaccinated, but you don't have to compare the United States government to so, freaking Nazis. No. And, and, and this is the thing, because I think make one point here to actually two points here. The first one is, uh, so Kevin McCarthy, who is the house minority leader, uh, who has done nothing to earn the title of speaker, uh, but is yeah. currently the House Minority Leader, uh, recently unveiled a number of tax task forces, uh, very you know Paul Ryan esque, uh, to to address certain issues uh, or, or lay out the Republican Party's platform, the House Republican Conference's platform. Uh, the Future of American Freedoms Task Force, led by the great defender of freedom Jim Jordan. Uh, I'm sorry, I am not. I am not a Jordan fan, uh, but you shut uh, your dirty mouth. But uh, there are there are a couple really good names on the list. So you you have you you know, you have uh, Barry Loudermilk on the on the list. Uh, Maria Salazar, who uh, is is of Cuban descent and represents uh, part of Miami, which is has a, a very big uh, Cuban population, uh, who uh, who know the dangers of socialism. You have Congressman Tom McClintock, who is one of my personal favorites in, in, in amongst House Republicans. He is probably one of the few true fiscal conservatives left. And then Marjorie Taylor Greene, <laughs> who, who just two or three weeks ago was saying that AOC needed to be locked up, which is something that actual fascists did. Right. Brown, yeah, if you want to, yeah, that's a brown shirt. That's a, yeah. that's a brown shirt thing. Yeah. And, and, and part of me feels really sorry for people who live in Georgia, Georgia House District 14, uh, because you effectively have no representation, right? She, she, yes, she can speak on the floor. Yes, she can introduce legislation. Yes, she can participate in debate, but she's not on any committees, which was a choice of House Democrats to remove her from committees. Uh, But, you know, I mean, she, and, and she's caused problems, like she's going down there demanding votes on suspension legislation. This is legislation that would ordinarily pass either by voice vote or overwhelming margins on the House floor. 
and they've they've gotten around her uh, on that. They're they're just consolidating them into one big package and letting them pass on block. So like she's a, essentially not a factor. She's just an annoyance. And there's 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 Thomas Massey, who is one of the nicest people you'll you'll meet in Washington D.C. Principled, uh, principled, uh, you know, just I mean, one of the more principled members of the House Republican Conference who votes the right way. He, he has occasionally some fire breathing rhetoric. Uh, he gets super passionate about things, but at least his constituents have a voice. Yeah. She oh, is, look, she's look, the anti Thomas mass. Yeah. Look, Biden's Biden's floating out that idea of going door to door. That's a stupid idea. It's dumb. Yes. It's, it's a big freaking waste of money, but oh, what's going to happen. They're going to knock on somebody's door and Hey, we encourage you to get a vaccine. Nobody's going to be arrested. Nobody's going to be publicly shamed and humiliated. Nobody's going to be put on a train and sent off to any place. None of that stuff's going to happen. So it's it's a, a yet another stupid analogy uh, that that makes it seem like uh, you know that every everything is is the end of the world when it's just you know more stupid government tricks to to try to raise the vaccination rate. I have a challenge for Congressman Green. Stop, just for a minute. So that we don't have to talk about you until after November. Can you do that for us? <laughs> I like just, it. just my challenge to you is to not do anything so stupid that you're a topic on this podcast for the next four months. <laughs> so speaking of embarrassments from Georgia, I do want to, for those of you who are watching this, I'm going to see if I can do this right. Uh, we have a tweet from uh, a former Georgia Congresswoman, uh, Cynthia McKinney, who post tweeted yeah. Yeah. Uh, for those of you who are listening rather than watching, this is a picture. Uh, it's a tweet that says the final piece of the puzzle. And it's a puzzle that uh, has the World Trade Center in the background uh, that is smoldering, but still standing. And the piece, uh, the, the final piece of the puzzle that's being added is Zionists right above did it. So uh, we have some we, we have some pretty embarrassing folks. Uh, who occasionally come from Georgia. I mean, it's just, that's anti-Semitic. That's just, it absolutely is anti-Semitic. Yes, it is. It's factually wrong, but it's it's par for the course for Cynthia McKinney. I mean, she was, you know, before there was Marjorie Taylor Greene, there was Cynthia McKinney. Yep. <laughs> yep. Marjorie Taylor Greene is, Greene is Republican, Cynthia McKinney. Yeah. Yeah. They're both bad. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's, I mean, that's just, oh my gosh, dude, it's, my facial expressions for you folks who are watching, I'm sorry. For those who can't see it, I am, I'm cringing over here. Yeah. Uh, Hard not to. And look, I, and look, and look, the, 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 the dangerous thing about uh, what Cynthia McKinney did, you have Congressman uh, Omar, who, who says similar things, maybe not quite as on the nose uh, but there, there is a very troubling rise in anti-Semitism that's gone on for the past few years in this country, and uh, you know, it, yes, we 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 uh, we understand that there's a rise in in attacks on Asian folks. There's a rise in attack, uh, but the, but before that, there's there's been a, a long-standing rise in a, in a crimes against and, and hate crimes and rise in anti-Semitism against uh, Jewish community. There was a a, uh, a Jewish person in New York just stabbed just the other day in broad daylight. So this this is very troubling. And folks like Cynthia McKinney who shoot their mouth off like this uh, don't understand uh, what they're, well, maybe probably do understand. Uh, that's maybe the more troubling part of it. She knows exactly what she's doing and what she's saying and what this uh, helps bring about, which is more of this kind of anti-Semitic activity. Yeah. No, it's... Uh... It just still amazes me that people, regardless of what race you are or what race the other other, whether it's a group of people, or whatever the case may be, how how we still treat people who are different uh, than us uh, as dirt. Yeah, it's still amazing. I did a podcast today uh, for my day job with the Pegasus Institute, uh, which is based up in Kentucky. And we, I, we talked about the very briefly, we just kind of touched on the broader themes of like 
the lack of critical thinking and the lack of empathy that's that exists in American society today. And and I really think it's going to be our downfall. Yeah, it's a scary time because there's no it, it's pointing the finger at people uh, for you know with 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 just lies and outright lies. Yeah, we know who was behind 9/11. It wasn't Zionists. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. You know, and, and honestly, it, we, and it's unfair to blame a whole group of people for the actions of a few. Right. It, which is the danger of what Jason is talking about. Right. Uh, you know, we know who was behind it. We know their names. Yeah. They were individuals. They, you know, they shared some traits in common, but they did not. They were not representative of an entire group no. of people. And no. They might have been part of a group, but they weren't the group. No, and, there was a, t a small group, a small, well-funded organization. Right. And, and so, you know, it's dangerous for us to especially look back that far and start dividing us up by our culture, our creed. It's just, mm -hmm. but it's part for the course with how the left reacts to things. You know, they want us to be divided by, by these lines. It helps keep them in power because they're the ones who are advocating for you, right? It creates this populist message that seems to be really popular for lack of a better term. But the reality is we can't be doing that. We are, we are at first a nation that recognizes the value of the individual. And, and we walk away from that when we begin to accept this from our political leaders, you know, and Cynthia McKinney may no longer be in Congress, but she's still a political leader. She's still, you know, just as much as Buzz and I are, you know, we still talk Bigger about followings. engaged. We have followings. Yeah. I mean, we have, he was a candidate for president, right? And so people are going to listen to that and say, you know, she's right. And yeah. she's not. It's, you know, just, oh my gosh, dude, I'm so cringy over here. I'm just cringed out. <laughs> As you should be. Well, before we go, any final thoughts? Well, we started uh, with Shaq. We can end with Charles Barkley. And a few weeks ago on uh, Inside the NBA, he went on a little rant about how, uh, in his words, most black people and most white people are really good people and get along just fine. It's politicians and people in leadership who are dividing us. And I think in large measure, he's right. And we see, we see example, we, we talked about two examples of it right here. So, yeah. Uh, prayers for the Krispy Kreme, man. Prayers for the Krispy Kreme. Uh, it's just tragic that that would be burned twice in a very yeah. short period of time. I, I, we will recover. We are Atlanta. We are strong. We will recover. <laughs> From the ashes, ashes rises the phoenix. Right, the phoenix <laughs> rises the, the hot donut, donut sign now. The hot the donuts, donuts now sign. Rise from the ashes. Yes. Yes, that neon will glow again. That neon hot sign yes. will, will glow again. Yes, yes. sir. All right, folks, that's it for us this week. We'll, we'll hope to be back next week. If not, we'll be back the week after. And hopefully we'll have some candidate information to discuss, maybe more fundraising numbers coming in. Uh, until next time, have a good rest of your week. Hopefully we'll see you next week. Peace out. And uh, I don't know, go dogs. Sorry, Buzz. No, no, no. Go Jags. Go, go Owls. <laughs> Later, folks. <laughs>